rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Well, welcome, friends, to another episode of Rumors of Grace. As always, this is Bob Hutchins, and if you are tuning in uh, for the first time, you're going to get a special treat today, really, because I'm having two former guests I've each had on individually, but I've got them on together today because they have written a book that I'm extremely excited about. I have not read it yet. I've been begging them to give me the first interview because I want to learn about it and I want to help them promote it. Uh, and they were gracious enough to do this. I'm recording this on Labor Day here in the U.S., which both of you are in Canada, right? Or no? Brad's in Canada. I'm in Washington State, okay. just north of Portland, Oregon. You're close enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stone's throw. So uh, I, I guess I gave it away. I have William Paul Young with me today. I also have Brad Jerzak. They have co-authored a book together called The Pastor. And here's the synopsis that I just pulled off of Audible. Um, I've been following the writing of this and I've been excited to read it. And hopefully I will very, very soon in the next day or two. But listen to this before we jump in. The pastor, crisis, exclamation point, an explosive public meltdown, a violent incident in the psychiatric ward. Now the pastor stares into the abyss of his own secret shame. Before he can be free, he must confront his demons and find grace. But will he let go? Will he allow himself to be healed? The pastor explores the perilous human journey from self-will and striving through defeat and despair to hope and the redemption found only through surrender. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, glad to be with you. Honored. Thanks for Brad, having did us. you write that? You wrote that synopsis, yeah? I think I did, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Thanks. <laughs> I, I haven't heard it before, so. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it even had just tell readers right up front. And then the last line on Audible says, warning, mature themes. So. Yeah, it's pretty real. I mean, it's yeah. very real. And uh, I was talking to someone about it yesterday who who just read it. And and she said, it's beautifully brutal. Mm. And um, and that's because we didn't we didn't pull punches in terms of the healing process for some of us. Some of us, you know, it's uh, it's a journey through hell is what it is. Yeah, it's probably not much darker than our own stories in some ways, but <laughs> it's a different in, in, in other ways. Uh, it's not, it's not autobiography, autobiographical, um, in, in the sense that, uh, these are the issues specifically we had to overcome, but we both, we both faced into the whole world of, of abuse of clergy malpractice. Uh, we had meltdowns of our own kind and a lot of experience with, with others who, um, you know, I, I, I've had now at least three people that I've had experience with where, where third parties have said, is this about them? <laughs> and it's like, no, it's not about them. But these are, these are uh, um, when someone has a meltdown, especially in the, in the, in the world of faith, um, the shrapnel can spread beyond what you imagine. Certainly mm. it does for the, the offender, right? Yeah, yeah. But is there a path of redemption? 
or or shall we just cancel them? And yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful about that because I've mm-hmm. I've watched our lives where we've experienced mercy and are able to be ministers of reconciliation as a result. Mm. Well, I've had you both individually on the podcast. So listeners, if you want to get a more thorough background of both Brad and, and Paul's life and their stories, uh, it'll provide some context. So we won't go into a ton of detail of the, in that. But um, I'm just really eager to hear, first of all, how you came together and how you decided to came up with this book. This is the first book you've written together. And um, I know, Brad, you probably co-authored several books, maybe uh, in the past. I don't know for sure. I know know you've written several and Paul, I know you've written, but is this, is this new, is this a a new thing for you guys to co-author a book together, especially a, a quote fiction book? Yeah, it is. And uh, I love it. I, I love collaboration, and one of the beautiful things about Brad, and I, and, I, and it's true for, for for me too. I, there's no ego involved in this, right? And so it was very fluid in terms of the coordination of effort, and um, and a lot of it uh, was birthed in Brad's heart, and 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 i had the joy of coming alongside of it and then saying okay well maybe we can do it this way or say it this way or whatever and so you know some of the framing and the reframing and wordsmithing and that kind of stuff but you know um how did we meet oh through uh through eden right cuz i i spoke it when eden was pastoring the church yeah that's right yeah eden is your wife brad Eden's my wife, yeah. And so I was out of town when Paul came visiting and speaking in Abbotsford. Um, <clears throat> but Eden was able to to meet him at that point. And then uh, we gradually started an email relationship that ended that ended it didn't it, it <laughs> didn't end. <laughs> it ended up, it ended up that we were finally were face to face in the context of the movie The Shack being uh-huh. filmed in British Columbia. And that's when years of emails finally turned into a, a face-to-face relationship and through uh, the the wonderful grace of Jesus we we have not had to orchestrate co-laboring since then people mm-hmm. throw us together over and over and over and so yeah the the heart of this the heart of this novel is really uh, our relationship as friends and Paul's generosity in coming alongside because frankly um I really wanted to to have step into the world of fiction because I believe it delivers truth better than nonfiction yeah, most of the time. And yet, here's the problem: you know, as a teacher and a theologian, and um, moving from the world of of nonfiction into fiction is perilous because you you can be preachy, you can come with agenda, you can, and I and like so so I just thought Paul could save us from me doing that <laughs> if we worked on this together because he knows that world so well and so um i i feel like we pulled it off that we say some important things without getting preachy or mm. uh, do you feel that way paul yeah absolutely oh and and sometime we should tell you about the first time we met face to face because it, it was around a set of circumstances that make the movie pale 
Could we do that? Could we do that now? Yes, go I for think, it. I think we should because there is there is so many parallels even to the yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So so you tell you you talk from your side first, Brad. About you know yeah. some of the history. Um, so from my side, uh, I have a dear friend who gave me a copy of the Shack when it first came out, and of course I was just I was I was shocked and amazed uh, partly by the beauty of the book, but also Paul's ability uh, to walk us through deep, uh, deeply through the problem of affliction and, mm. and, and, uh, and to pull it off without platitude. So I, you know, I fell in love with the book well before I ever m- met Paul. Well, as we've said, the, um, the, uh, the first time we met was going to be at the movie, but wh- how that came to be was the person who had, given me the book initially um, he and his wife went through the tragedy of losing a daughter after, after they had read the book and like horrendous pain and, Mm. and despair in that and and deep, the deepest possible shaking of their faith. And so I went out to visit him at his cabin one day and we went for a walk and I was asking him even, you know, um, have you been able to reread the shack maybe as a diagnostic tool of where you're at in your own journey with losing a daughter? And, and he said, I, I can't get through, I can't get through chapter one yet again, you know, and here's the guy who'd been pushing it for so many years, but now it was so triggering for him to try to go back to that. And as we're on this walk, we see a little orange sign that says shack and an orange sign in British Columbia means movie set. Hmm. So I, I said, this is amazing. Um, so I took a selfie of me and my friend and sent it to Paul at that point. And here, here it was that one of the set scenes or sets of the shack was going to be like three blocks from my friend's cabin wow. on Cultus Lake. Over to you, Paul. All right. So I'm sitting in my office and I had no creative control, no rights to the shack movie. Um, I had I had basically laid it all down and and have no regrets about that whatsoever. And I constantly got reinvited into the process uh, by the studio, by the uh, producer, by the director. And um, and and I had actually gone up to the first day shoot. In fact, Lionsgate had called me up and said, would would you come and pray a blessing over the entire cast and crew the first day shoot in British Columbia? And I'd done that. And um, and had a beautiful day there, and and and, uh, and gone back home. Was very grateful and all this. Well, sixty days later, I get a phone call, and um, and they said, "Hey, Paul, uh, we loved having you on the set the first day. Would you consider coming back for another day?" Um, we and this was like on a Monday, so they said, "We'll fly you in Wednesday, and um, Thursday we'll take you to the set." and you'll spend the whole day on set, and then Friday, we'll fly you home. And I looked at my calendar, and it happened to be wide open, and I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So, so I mean, in short order, it was set up, and I'm sitting at my desk thinking, huh, you know, there's this guy that I've been trying to meet that lives in Abbotsford, and they're putting me up in Chilliwack, which is right next door. And... Um, I wonder if he's even in town because Brad spends time in, in England and he was a adjunct professor over there. And, 
And so I'm, I'm, I don't even know if he's on the continent, but, but um, I, I type out this email and I go, hey, by any chance, do you happen to be in town? Um, and I explained to him what's going on. And he sends me back an email that, quickly and it says, can I pick you up at the airport? And I'm going like, yeah, that's perfect. So I contact the studio and say, hey, I've got a friend who's going to pick me up at the airport. And they say, oh, that saves us like three hours round trip. So yeah, that would be great. And transport is like all over that. So I'm like, great. And then I get another email and it's Brad and his friend walking in the woods with a photo of this orange sign three and a half blocks away from his devastated friend's cabin up in the woods. And it's like one of the set locations. And, in, and there's lots of different set locations in British Columbia, but one of them is right there. And Brad and Eden had been invited to spend like a week up there with them at their cabin, uh, or a few days anyway. And, um, and so he's go, look. So they, he was emailing me while they had been walking in the woods and, and in the conjunction of this conversation they ran into the set of the shack well um well his friend had been talking about i can't he's he had said you know i i think if i could just read the shack again i could come to healing but i can't get past chapter one and um and uh because it's you know the loss of a daughter i mean on and on and um and so it's like, wow, that's fun. You know, that's, that's coincidence has a name. And then, and so in short order, it was set up. So Brad meets me at the airport and, and we instantly fall in love. I mean, it was just, you know, there are some relationships where you don't have to work. Yeah. You know, and there are some relationships that require energy and concentration and intentionality and all of that. There are some relationships that are such a gift that they just constantly are a kiss of grace and you pick up wherever you left off and they're they're just gifts and they they're the kind that you know this has got a taste of eternal life in it you Mm -hmm. know in that sense that there's there's no presumption there's no posturing there's no it's just like full-on face-to-face you know we could talk about anything and um and i already trust you you know that kind of thing so we, we spent the afternoon, he said, oh, Brad had said, you know, I'll pick you up at the airport, we'll go to lunch, we'll talk shop, and then I'm going to take you to supper with uh, Eden, so you can see Eden at our house, and then I'll drop you off at, at uh, the hotel in Chilliwack. Great, the whole day, so we did, we went out and had uh, chicken and uh, at, at a fast food restaurant and talked theology all, all afternoon, and all kinds of stuff. And so then we went over and saw Eden and she had a great meal for us. And, and then Brad took me and dropped me off. And, um, and I said, oh, he had said in his email, he said, I don't know if there's any way while you're up here. And, and I said, I don't know, because I don't know what set location I'm going to be at or anything. But he said, if there was any way that you could even spend 10 minutes with my friends, mm. um, I think it would be really, really redemptive, really helpful. And I said, we'll find a way. And if that meant spending an extra day up in British Columbia after I was done and all that, whatever it took, you know? Sure. And um, 
So um, that night when he dropped me off, I just said, I'll let you know tomorrow where I am at. So then we'll figure logistics. And he and Eden were going back up to the cabin. So I don't get a call sheet from the studio until like 1130 that night. And it says, we're going to pick you up at 930 and we're going to take you to the set location at Cultus Lake, which is where the cabin is, right? It's the set location they ran into is the one that um, uh, uh, I'm going to. So the next morning, I'm texting Brad going like, hey, I'm three and a half blocks away from you. And I'm walking into this, onto the set. And, and uh, Brad texts me back and he goes like, just let us know. We have food ready for you. We'll just walk down the waterfront and, and get you. And then uh, you can, even if you can spend 10 minutes. So I walk onto the set and, and I walk over to... Um, uh, happens that there's a little group of three that are standing there on set. And one is the director, one's the producer, and one's the producer's wife, um, Gil and Lonnie Netter and Stuart Hazeldean. And so I walk over to them and they give me hugs and all that. And I said, hey, I have, a, I have a favor to ask. Would there be any possibility that four friends of mine who are just a few, you know, like they're part of this community, but if they could come on set for the day. And immediately they went, absolutely. I mean, there was no hesitation. Oh yeah, absolutely. And 20 minutes later down the waterfront comes Brad Eden and Dwight and Lori. And they, they, walk, they walk onto the set. And um, anybody who's been around me in person knows that I think, I think hugging is a sacrament, right? And, um, and, and I hug him, but I hug Lori and I don't let her go. I'm just like, there is something going on inside of her. And uh, I don't let her go until I feel something shift. Brad, you wanna just tell us where Lori was at in that moment? Yeah, she, <clears throat> she would have called uh, that up to then for several years, the great sadness. Mm. and she, she'd been stuck she was really stuck and we'd had many conversations I'd tried everything I tried you know everything from Job's friends foolish answers to just co-suffering with her silence you name it but she and she couldn't even get excited about meeting Paul it's like yeah whatever and which was remarkable but then in that moment she of stuckness, she enters that embrace, which we end up, she ends up calling it the grand embrace. The day, but it began with a literal hug. And she's like, as she's, as she's experiencing the hug, she's going, okay, that's enough now, that's enough now, in her mind. She's not saying it or physically pushing them away. Um, so there was no sense of violation in it. But at the same time, she's, she's like, oh my God, he knows. Because hmm. I, I didn't, tell her that Paul knew the details of this. And, um, and, and then, uh, I think she began to weep. Yeah. And then you let us on to the set. Shall yep. I talk, you want to talk about the scenes or shall I talk I, about that? Um, let me talk about them. Pick it up there. Okay. So when they shoot a movie and especially outside scenes and Cultus Lake is where they built the shack. They actually had built it on this site three different times for the three different ways that the shack looked. And, um, 
And so, but this is where they, I mean, they built an entire shack right there. And this is, this is where the major part of the movie takes place. And, and I didn't know that. One of the reasons they had invited me up, they wanted me to see it. They wanted me to actually walk onto this set where it's there. And so the first time I'd gone up, Octavia Spencer, who plays Papa, wasn't there. Sumi, who plays the Holy Spirit, wasn't there. Um, Aviv, who plays Jesus, wasn't there. But now they're all there. And they're, they're doing outside shots. So this means that you can't hear because you can't get close enough. And what the director and the producer do, they have what's called Video Village. It's a little tent. Oh, well, it's a big tent. And inside the tent, they have, they have monitors, big, huge screen monitors, so they can actually sh see what the camera is shooting. And they have headphones on so they can actually hear what the um, microphones and everything are picking up. I didn't even ask them. And they put five chairs right in front of the screens with headphones so that we could just sit there and engage. And I'm at one end, I think Brad's at the other end, and uh, Eden and, and Dwight and Laurie are in the middle. And I have no clue what we're gonna watch. And they're, they've only planned to shoot one scene in the morning, and, it, and they'll shoot it multiple times, over and over and over. One scene in the afternoon, multiple times, and then uh, take, you know, take a break, take a break, and then have supper and shoot an evening scene. And, um, that's the whole plan for the day, but I, I don't have a clue what we're watching, right? So we sit down, put our headphones on, and here's the scene. In the movie, it's where, because they don't shoot things in sequence, so it's just when the actors are available and all that. And it's in the movie, it's when um, Mackenzie has had nightmares all night long, and he's got that flying dream where he then crashes into the ground and his feet are stuck in the mud and he sees his daughter being carried away at a distance and she's going daddy daddy and he can't get to her right and it's it's almost a night terror and he and he just he comes awake out of that so this is the first night that he spent at the shack so he's still trying to figure out where he is who he's with and all of these these elements and he's really disoriented and he's really perturbed i mean he he is upset as he walks out onto the porch where Papa's been making breakfast for him. And he walks out there and, it, and, she, and the scene starts with her going, she's, she's singing, only love can break your heart. Neil Young, yeah, it's supposed to be Bruce Coburn, but we couldn't get the rights fast enough. Only love can break your heart. You like Neil Young? He's okay. I'm especially fond of him, right? And that starts this little conversation about, <laughs> Is there anybody you're not especially fond of? Mm. No, not that I can think of, you know. And uh, he sits down, but he doesn't touch anything. And he starts this conversation. What about your wrath? I'm like, what? You know, and there's that whole piece of conversation. And then she looks at him and she says, you know what the, you know what the real issue is with you, Mackenzie? You don't believe that I'm good. I am. And I'm at work in everything you consider to be a mess for your good. And, and he, he just, I mean, it just is such a confrontation to him. And um, 
and he gets up. What was the line? Do you remember, Brad? Oh, yeah, because this was Dwight and Lori's line for three years now. How can I trust you? My daughter is dead. My daughter is dead, you know, and he just smashes the glass off the, the mug off the table and walks out and the director calls cut reset. And we're sitting there. How, how could I ever trust you? My daughter is dead. And, and we're just like in shock and they reset and we watch it again. And then we watch it again. And about the third time, Lori just gets up and walks out and I follow her outside the tent and I just hold on to her while she falls apart. And then she pushes me away, walks back in and sits down. We probably watched it 10, 12, 15 times. Yeah, I think I counted 13. 13. And so it was like this relentless therapy where the couple would go through, you know, they'd go through weeping or she'd walk out. Paul would pray for her, talk to her, pray for what she'd walk in and Dwight would look at me and then he'd begin weeping. And then, you know, it just, it was, it was the relentless kindness of the fire of God burning away the wall that prevented trust. And, and it was, it was this magnificent seed that what if God is actually good? What would that look like? They got to watch what it would look like so many times that uh, it was inescapable and, and it really began a healing journey. And then we took a break for lunch and <clears throat> overcomes Octavia and wraps, wraps him up in her arms and overcomes Sumi and, and Aviv. And so you've got the entire Trinity in bodily form loving on them in the midst of this scene in which they're confronted with the absolute loss of their daughter and the goodness of God, right? And then uh, that afternoon, we sit down to watch the afternoon scene, not knowing what it is. And it's Mackenzie sitting on the porch and Papa comes out because they just, in the movie, they just had that conversation in the kitchen. Don't you ever think that what my son chose to do didn't affect us all, right? It's because the nail scars are on her wrists. And uh, so he walks out. And he's sitting on the porch when she comes out. She says, Supper's almost ready. And they're looking at this bird. See that bird, Mackenzie? That bird was created to fly. You were created to be loved. Sometimes pain is a way of clipping your wings and you, were, you forget you were ever created to fly. Why did you... Oh, because um, she said, you know, when you're stuck. Oh, no. Why did you bring me here? She, he says, why did you bring me here? And he's a, and she says, which is what Lori is asking that day. Yeah. And and she says, because here is where you got stuck. Mackenzie, today's your flying lesson. And we're just bawling. I mean, we're just. We're just taken apart and we watch it over and over and over and over. And, and at, at the end, we're saying goodbye that evening and, and uh, Lori hugs me and, and Dwight and they say, you, you have absolutely no idea. And I'm going like, you're right, but, but look, at, look at the sequence of events, you know? I, I don't have any rights. I already been to once the set on the first day. They don't have to invite me back. Oh, they invite me back. Oh, and I think, wait, I wonder if Brad's in town. So I connect with Brad and, oh yeah, he's not only in town, he picks me up at the airport. Oh, and, and he's got this tragedy in his relationships that are 
that maybe I can step into the middle of. But he's then they're up in the, their cabin, and as they're it's the same people that were walking in the woods, and they found the set that I ended up at, and those are the scenes that we get to watch being shot. So when you see those scenes in the movie, the four of us are sitting watching it being filmed in Video Village. And, and you just think, God's no respecter of persons. This must be going on all the time. We just don't have eyes to see it. Right? Wow. And so it's that same pathos and the same redemptive genius that, that we tried to capture to some form in a really uh, a dark um, process of a human being who many would consider irredeemable. And I think that's really a fundamental question. Is there such a thing as a human being who is irredeemable, who is mm. so de dehumanized that they're no longer, that redemption is no longer possible? And if, if we were to say that there was, then we would say then God is not all powerful, right? Not that there is there is someone beyond the pale of God's ability to reach. Not that someone cannot resist and say no forever, but it doesn't mean they were irredeemable ever. Mm. And um, and so that's you know that's part of it. But you can see how that story just blends into mm. what we're talking about. That's beautiful. What's an amazing story? Thank you for sharing that. I think it. <clears throat> It's a great segue and setup for for your new book, the pastor that you've written together, because it's begun. The ripple, the ripples have begun. We're yeah. already encountering people being healed through the book. That's amazing. That's amazing. Or and taking and a step. How, how much of the book? I, I mean, I, obviously, I know the answer here. Brad, I know your story. Paul, I know your story. It feels like this is this melding of experiences and life. And, and how much of, of your own stories bleed through into the book? About 12% uh, for me and about 14% for Brad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then if you, and then if you count, how much, uh, how much do stories of those we love bleed into the book? Yeah, and yeah, then the percentage go. goes way up. Well, you know, hmm. uh, where we have met those who may have been deemed irredeemable, especially Paul working with with people on death row, and then uh, me in terms of my encounters with those who have have had to go through deep level inner healing journeys, um, including out of addiction and so on, uh, both both as victims of abuse and predators. And it really raises the question, is there anything that the blood of Christ cannot wash? Is, I love Paul's statement, but all-powerful uh, is a, in reference not only to creation, but to recreation. Is, yeah. is Christ the all-powerful recreator or just 90%, you know? Mm. Or, and so um, uh, both Paul and I have text strings on our phone with real people that we copy and paste it into the dialogue. Like these are real conversations of those on, on the far edge. Cause we didn't want to fantasize what God is able to do. We wanted to testify what we have seen God do. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so we've created composite characters that express 
real life um, redemption. Mm. And for those that are listening, obviously, that we haven't read it yet, can you give us um, an author's synopsis of both, okay, what's the genesis of this book and what is the, um, what's the storyline without giving anything away so that we can kind of begin to, to enter into preparation for this and understanding it? Paul, maybe you should do that because you're more used to not blowing the punchlines. So our, our major composite character is the combination of, of people, mostly men, I would say, I mean, almost strictly men, um, who have been in power positions inside religious institutions and, and are there for a myriad of different broken reasons. And uh, so the, the pastor is, I mean, he's one of my people. He is a, he is a fundamentalist hellfire preacher, you know, hellfire damnation preacher. And, and it's the world that I kind of grew up in and Brad and Brad did. And, um, and so it's, you have, you have the persona that is on the outside that is maintained through, to some degree through skill, some degree through expressions of damage, right? So self-protective, self-promoting, and it's like, what, what's going to break into that person's world? And, um, and, I, and, and Brad, you can tell what your son said about what the, what the analogy is to another, another piece of writing that is in a class by its own, just let me say. Yeah, so my youngest son, Dominic, is one of the voice actors on the, on the audio book, which, by the way, is, is fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, Boyd Barrett put together a cast of professional actors, but he threw in my son because uh, he uh, Dominic, and so Dominic finally hears the whole book um, on audiobook, and he says, uh, "Dad, this is an effed up version of Dickens' Christmas Carol, including the three visitors and God bless That's us awesome. everyone." And I'm like, "Okay, was that a slam?" He goes, "Oh no, it's a compliment." And uh, I'm like, "Oh good." <laughs> Um, well, now, it, now I really want to read it. Yeah, that's oh, great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a great description. And there is a lot of uh, Easter eggs, right? There's a lot of surprises along the way and unveilings along the way and, mm. and different ways of looking at situations that really does go below the surface of how a lot of us experience life. And, and, and for some, it's going to be a stretch because they've never entered the world of people who are this way broken, this kind of broken. And, um, and, you know, without exposure, there is no healing. And that's, that's the genesis of the story. And it's the genesis of mine and Brad's is that at some point, that which was done in secret, that which was done hidden, that which was um, buried, has to come into the light, it has to be exposed. Like that verse, it says, you know, what you have done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. And it's not a promise of humiliation. It's actually a promise of redemption. Mm. And uh, because when it can be out there, and you know, you're probably familiar with this too, and that is that our people have been so hidden that we didn't even know people could come to healing because nobody could take the risk of saying they were broken even. Right. And... um, and so this is like, no, with exposure comes, 
well, it, it creates two major ripples. One is the possibility of redemption and, and the other is the possibility of retribution. <laughs> so, so it's like when somebody falls, um, it, there's almost um, a, a glee that they were exposed and I wasn't. Mm. And, um, and, and Brad and I both know in our lives that when somebody falls, we, we weep and grieve with them and then hope and pray and participate for redemptive purposes because they matter. You know, they're the one, they're the lost one. They're, because I was, Brad was, you know, and so, and so there is that element to it as well. So we've got this pastor, he's, he's confronted by his history in such a way that his only safe place is psychosis. I mean, he just drops into a form of mental illness and insanity, which frankly, we all, we do that. A lot of us do that to one degree or another. And, but he, I mean, he ends up in a psych ward and he ends up trying to rationalize his way through this and maintain his positions of power and, and all of this at the same time is that he's completely falling apart. And, and it's through encounter and confrontation and, and loving surprise that a, that a way begins to emerge, but it's, it's brutal. And there's a line that Brad knows that I like, and that is that, you know, religious people believe in hell, but spiritual people have been there. And, um, wow, and, that's good. Yeah. I didn't originate it. Somebody did. And, um, but it's so true. You know, um, we think about it as a, as a concept where, and I think in, in God's great kindness, that fiery fury is the love that intends to redeem. And, um, that's a whole conversation by itself, but, yeah. but again, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, the pastor, He's got to go through this fiery furnace and, and, and this burning bush to find out if anything is actually living in him. Do you feel like this book um, is going to appeal <clears throat> more to pastors or those in, who have gone through a religious ministry experience? Or will it appeal to everyone who maybe comes from uh, a Christian background? Who, who's your target for this? Brad? Um, my, what I had in mind is, uh, from my end is that, but much broader than that. Um, I've been in, I've been very embedded in 12 step recovery for the last 10 years. And, uh, some of the language in here, uh, really will relate to those, whether they are Christian or not, um, if they if they have experienced the, the the powerful chains of addiction and self will and walked through the bottoming out process and discovered a higher power, it's going to relate to that. So it's a very, I think, I think it will relate to that too. But and then also anyone who has experienced abuse in their lives um, or in, or has been connected to it. So let's say a parent of a child who's been abused or. And it goes there. But um, so at first, Paul and I been, had been saying, you know, this is not a book for everyone. Clearly, it's not if it's 
got trigger warnings and adult content. Although the trigger warnings are intended as an invitation, not as a, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, yeah. We, we need, we need to have triggers in our life in order for the necessary exposure to happen. So, but it, but it lets people know that you're, you're going to be pulled into this because of the own hurt that you have in your own life. And so those trigger warnings aren't, aren't, aren't there to dissuade people from engaging. They're actually an invitation to engage. That's really so, good. But talk about Latin America. Latin America. Well, I remember oh, the pub. Yeah, yeah. So we, so at first we were saying, you know, this book isn't, maybe isn't for everyone. Just, just kind of to caution people that, and, and then, um, but we have a Spanish publisher now who said, I want to assure you that absolutely everyone will relate to this book because they will suffer as he suffers and they will love as he loves. You know, that. so in other words, um, there will be a connection because all of us have experienced suffering. And, and even though there's a, not all of us have experienced the depths that are described of the human affliction we see there, it's like, if God can heal that, he can heal me. If God can... Yeah. At least there's the, if there's an invitation even to him, then there's an invitation even to me. And the question for both the character and for the reader is, will I say yes to the invitation or will I exercise the same self-will that got me in the problem in the first place? I'm, I'm starting to think this, that maybe, maybe the pastor, a crisis, that, the subtitle is super important, right? A crisis. And Paul can mention, talk about that in a minute, maybe. But I almost see it like um, this is Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale meets the shack. Yep. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's, no, I think that's, that's another great description. I, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's the first time he said that to me. And I, and I, think, that, I think that's really true. Um, even in the shack, you know, a I'm lot gonna, of people. I'm going to steal that for the podcast description so that we can get some uh, really good action on that. Perfect. Please do. <laughs> yeah. So even in the shack, you know, a lot of people haven't experienced their daughter being abducted and murdered. But it didn't matter. The fact that it was that kind of depth allowed them to bring their own hurts to the surface. And, and the thousands of emails and conversations and messages that came out of that it, they didn't have to experience that. They had what they needed to know was that there was hope and redemption in the midst of that kind of loss. Therefore, it is present in the midst of my kind of loss, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not a we're not in a competition for suffering here. And uh, right, it's a crisis. Though, do you want to talk about that Greek sure. word for a second? So the word in the English crisis we got from the Greek krisis, which and it's usually translated judgment. And and Brad and I are both on the same page about this that that the judgment of God is is absolutely necessary and and is for us, not against us. Right. It's it's the judgment of the great physician as opposed to the judgment of a legal uh, lawyer in a courtroom. And 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 the doctor you want to judge you so that you can figure out why you're broken and what's hurt and and what's damaged and what's not working right. And so um, when scripture uses the word judgment, there's only one Greek 
word that means retributive and punitive, and it's only used for how human beings relate to each other. It's never used for how God relates to us. All the words about judgment are restorative and redemptive. So it is like the burning bush. That is, it is a fiery fury of love that is going to burn away everything that is in you that is not of love's kind. And I'm kind of quoting George MacDonald. If you trust the goodness of this God, who is the judge, you will run to him with your arms wide open and say, please come and judge me to the core and burn out of me everything that keeps me from being fully human and fully alive. Mm. And, and that's, that's the crisis. And, and we all are going to, everybody gets salted with fire. That's John's gospel. Absolutely. Everybody's going to be salted, which is a restorative, um, curative, uh, What's the other term where it makes something last for a long time? Um, and fire, which is purifying and healing and whatever. So everybody gets salted with fire. And so this, that's the centerpiece of what this is about. This is this pastor who's created a persona around which he's built his identity, worth, value, significance, but it's all based on damage. Mm. And it's like, what kind of crisis is going to be necessary? And it's not like God is out to punish him. God is present to heal him. And, and it's his own house of cards that he has built over a lifetime that needs to collapse. Mm. And God is patient. God waits, right? What, what is it that if you, could, if you could look a year down the road, two years, three years, and what are you hoping that this book does uh, both? Obviously you want it to be successful on, on just sales, but I know that that's not a main priority for you is what is it you hope that people walk away from, they get from it. And you, you gave us a beautiful example of Brad's friends. And, you know, we set up the whole beginning of this podcast of how the shack has done that in people's lives. What is it that you hope people walk away with that they engage with in this book i'm hoping i'm hoping that uh we will start to receive more messages it's already begun that we'll receive messages of those who thought they were impossibly stuck mm. and had despaired of their own redemption whether it's uh being freed from toxic shame or uh, um or the wounds that they've experienced of shameful acts and that they will identify with some pages in the book, some character in the book and come back and, and say, that character took me by the hand mm. and, and walked me out of my stuckness. Mm. Um, and, and like I say, we've already begun to see that. And, and that, that's my hope that it's actually does a healing work for stuck people. Mm. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, that, you know, other than that, it's like we participate and thank you, Holy Spirit. Nobody could have seen what the shack would do. I certainly had no clue. Absolutely no clue. And, and that's, that's, that's part of the power that Brad mentioned about fiction versus nonfiction. Nonfiction tends to try to, to shut space down so that our spaces match each other's right so i'm going to convince you i'm going to i'm going to appeal to your intellect and to your logic and 
and good fiction, and I mean good in the sense that it, it doesn't, it's not propaganda, right? It doesn't have an embedded uh, agenda to, to move somebody from here to there like nonfiction tends to. And, um, but good fiction actually creates space for people to hear for themselves. Mm. And so my hope is that this is, this is another piece of good fiction where people can hear for themselves what the spirit wants to say to them. And, um, and, you know, it has its limitations like all our works do, but still the Holy Spirit is a redeeming genius who can climb into whatever we bring to the table and, and move it in the direction of, of being that which helps and heals and restores. Redeemed. That's wonderful. I think it's a timely book, guys, because, you know, the, everything we've been through in 2020, I was talking with my wife this morning about something and um, we were both saying that it feels like this has exposed so many things in our lives, our hearts and our culture and our societies. And we by no means, um, it has opened up to many wounds and they're still exposed. And obviously here in our country and in, in America, we're not in a good shape in many ways. Uh, but at the same time, I really believe too, um, it's causing us to shift and rethink what's important, um, what's not important. Um, maybe we can live without certain things. And in the midst of all those things, I think there's a lot of pain of uh, people losing jobs, losing positions, um, this thing we call church, this thing we call ministry, this thing we call all kinds of different things, not just limited in the religious world. It is exposed and said, you know, what am I doing? Is it worth it? Is it needful? Is it something, do I need to be doing something else? And so in that way, um, it feels uh, like a very timely book for the times to, to say, you know, what are, what do we do? What are we doing? And um, am I examining my own life and heart and ministry and uh, maybe my career, uh, et cetera? Do you guys feel that as well? I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm almost, I hadn't thought of this before till this moment, but in some way, the pastor represents Christianity in America right now. Mm. You know, like, is it, hopeless should we just rejoice that it's crumbling could it bottom out is there life after what it is now is there i don't know i'm less hopeful about that in some ways and so maybe if i think well wait a minute um maybe my people have not reached the terminus of their faith maybe mm. if they're willing to bottom out and encounter the living God, um, the fire that consumes. And if they're willing to surrender to the surgeon when he comes, you know, uh, hmm, who knows? But it can't go back to what it was. Yes. Oh, uh, oh my goodness. That would be the biggest disaster. So, yes. Which means that the wounds and all that, they've been there the whole time, just leaking out through, <coughs> you know, fury and, and, um, uh, anger and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness and uh, you know moralism. And busyness and moralism and all this other kind of stuff so i'm mm. uh, we're with you as far as this has been a year of exposure and uh, you know hindsight's always 2020 yeah 
No pun intended. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I started calling it the year of hindsight early last year. I said, 2020 is coming. I think I'm going to take a break because I think it's going to be the year of hindsight. I had yes. no clue how much hindsight we would be invited into. Yes, yes. Now, one of the things that I've appreciated is from both of your writings, um, Brad, obviously, so many of, of your works are nonfiction, theological. Um, but Paul, even yours, even your, your, you've written more, obviously, than just The Shack. Um, there's always a theme of love and grace and mercy and universal reconciliation. And so you walk away from your books, really changed in your thinking of maybe how you felt about God theologically, maybe how, you know, maybe a shift in your understanding of, of what certain things even mean anymore. Um, do you feel like, uh, I think you've already answered my question, but, but what's the, uh, what's the one thing about God, maybe theologically or philosophically that, that you really tried to permeate in this book, the pastor? Great question, Brett. Um, for me, it's, it's that, that God is all merciful. Mm. And um, what I, what I love about that phrase these days is, you know, my discovery in the Eastern Orthodox church is that like mercy and merciful that those words are used 154 times in a two hour liturgy, but it's also the first line of what Muslims pray five times a day, at mm. least five times a day. That, that a, a confession that God is all merciful. And, and I think um, far too much of our, of Christianity uh, has been, he's all merciful, but in right. other words, not all merciful, he's, he's merciful and, or a reduction of God's mercy to withholding wrath. It's like, no, no, his mercy is every single manifestation of goodness that we experience from us, from safe travels to healthy crops, to healing, to co-suffering with us in the worst of our afflictions. So that's I. If people could get a vision of of the all merciful one, I'd be that that that'd be like maybe that's my life goal right now. Mm -hmm. From great goal. me, it's the absolute unshaded goodness of God. Mm. unshaded in unshaded. him is light and there's no darkness at all right mm. right there's mm. no turning there's it's just and uh you know we've got such a poor concept of god it permeates into so much of our necessity to you know even the way we interpret scripture and things like that is shaded because of our doctrine of god you know and uh, and we don't actually believe that that God is fully manifested in the kindness and the merciful nature of Jesus. We think that there's kind of two different characters to God. And uh, that's been an inheritance in, in, in my uh, religious tradition, my Christian religious tradition. And so, you know, the resolute goodness of God simply because it is God's very nature to love. And, and that's it. That's it. Mm. It's not love, but either, you know, and uh, like merciful is an expression of love. Yeah. And goodness is loving. So, yeah, I, I know for so many of us, we have um, we've come to or we're in the middle of a process of 
really realizing that so much of our faith um, existence has been more about really ourselves being just projecting a reflection of who God is versus really understanding who the divine, the God, the, the loving creator of the universe, whatever your name for him is, um, truly is. And I've come to learn as, as I know you have too, and it reflects in your writings that if somebody believes in a very vengeful, angry, retributive God, there's a good chance that they're a very angry, retributive, vengeful person. Um, and it's the old saying is, you know, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Um, I think we've, we've created a God in, the, in our own image and our own image that we brought to the table was completely broken and false. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. And uh, that's what I've appreciated so much about your writings and the, your, the way that what you guys spend your lives on is, is trying to, to hold, instead of holding up a mirror to ourselves is, is holding up a totally different uh, way of seeing um, that truly transforms us um, out of those things instead of continuing to contribute to those things. Um, so I want to thank you guys for that. And I, I hope um, that's what I'm hearing from this book, that it also will, will, will hopefully shake us and, and, and get us to see something totally different in the yeah. pastor. Well, once you do hear it or read it, let us know your thoughts because we'd be very interested. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, a great segue, Paul. How, how can people get it? Uh, I hear that there's a way to get a special signed version. Yeah. Premier, PremierCollectibles.com has signed copies right now. Okay. Um, and then if you're more inclined to the audiobook, that's available at, at Amazon and Audible. Um, so Amazon also has the 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 book itself, hardcover yes. and Kindle and audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're I'm you got me excited uh, while we you guys were sitting here talking. I did, and you probably didn't even see me. I went ahead and downloaded the Audible version because it's got a full cast. Dram, sounds like it's drama, dra, dramatized. It is. Um, would you recommend that version over the? Uh, I guess just depending on what people like. I would. Um, and simply because, you know, I have a lot of friends who read the shack and then they listened to the audio book and they went, Oh my gosh, I heard stuff. Cause when you read, you tend to skip mm -hmm. and we just do it. It's just habit. And, but when you hear it, something, it's a different experience. And normally I, I wouldn't be pushing an audio book the way that I am. Cause it sounds like I'm trying to sell two different products, you know, combine them to make more money, which truly is we don't care about I, you know fundamentally that's not a value for us the i i see the value in this of the audiobook um opening a way for us to hear and then the written word being something that we can then look at because it it will it will it will open up your understanding in a way so what I'd start with the audiobook for me personally, you know, Great. I, cause I read it and read it and read it. And then when I listened to the audiobook, it was a, it was a new experience for me. And it was like, they, they did such a stellar job capturing the characters and, and just dragging. I mean, it was like watching it in theater and I love theater. And it was just like being present at a play in, in your imagination and mind. And, um, 
It, um, and it takes only about three and a half hours to listen to the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And the, the passion of the actors, I mean, you, the pain and uh, especially that of their stories. And, and, and there's one point that Paul, Paul's aware of too, where, where one of the, an actress, where her voice breaks and you're like, you know, she was accessing, she was accessing her, her story somehow because the, the depth of authenticity that comes through as she's sharing what the pastors, uh, what the pastor had cost her personally. And you're like, oh my goodness. And then I'm weeping. And I know Paul was weeping. Like, we're, yeah. we're, wait a minute. It's, at that point, it's not our own book anymore, right? No. It's transcended us. And that uh, I think the actors really helped in that sense. And I'm I'm terribly proud that my youngest son is one of the actors. <laughs> so I yeah. go there first too. Um, and then, you know, if you're able to afford it, get the hard copy because it is a, a Friesen's printing did a beautiful job of, of the text. And last well, question, guys. Yeah. When they turn this into a movie, Paul, I'll let you go first. Who do you want to play the pastor? Dream with me. <laughs> well, most of the ones that I'd want are now dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's a great question. This is one I haven't even thought about. Um, you have an idea, Brad? Well, it, it would have. It. I'd say like he's he's old, too old for it now. But ten years ago, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Oh my say. gosh! <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Ten years ago, he he'd have been he'd have been perfect for that that role. He could probably adapt it. Oh, know? I'm sure he probably can. He's such a good actor. And maybe uh, maybe a Hugh Jack Jackman. He did such a good job in Les Mis, huh? <laughs> yeah, he needs to age a little. He's <laughs> he's he's still he still is too good looking, and uh, and he just he needs he needs the texture of time. Mm. and in in the wrinkles of his face and hands and um uh, well i'm sure i'm sure that uh you know it 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 if it does what i feel like it could do um we may see that one day it may be several years from now but what a yeah. what an awesome privilege that would be so yeah. guys thank you for your time thank you for taking some time out on this labor day and um we really appreciate it we're excited any any last words or places that people should uh, should go to to check out the book? Check out what you guys are doing. Obviously, you both have your own websites, and you both are, are staying very busy. Um, but anything, any parting words in regard to the pastor? A crisis. It's a crisis. <laughs> it's it's awesome. real life, and um, maybe. Maybe a mature sixteen-year-old would be okay for, but other than that, I'd I'd keep it above that. Okay. And, um, Thanks and, for uh, that. Yeah. I All right, guys. It, well, yeah. it was great to talk with you again. And until Thank next you, time, we'll talk Thanks, to you Bob. soon. All right. See you. Labor of love this day. Absolutely. Yes. All right. <laughs>